So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 111. It is a a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. And before I read it, uh, I I just want to mention that uh, the the author of of this psalm, as well as the Lord, I believe they wrote it this way for us to memorize it. You see, what, what God's people were dealing with is they were remembering and looking back on their ancestors and all that they had to go through when they were in Egypt and when they left Egypt and went through the wilderness and then uh, when they uh, went before the, the promised land, they had to fight the enemy. And, and so at this time in history, uh, the psalmist wrote these words to uh, reflect upon what God had done uh, for their ancestors many, many years before. And it was written for us to remember. And a, a psalm is that of a song. And so this was written as a song because what, you, what, what helps you to remember something is songs. And what I want to do before we read the psalm is I want to just test this out by I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing a few lyrics to a song, and I want to see how good you are and see if you can finish the song for me, or at least the sentence for me in the song. So we're going to do a couple examples. I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? My girl, my girl. Okay, good. All right. What about this one? Don't stop believing. Hold on to that. (laughs) And then in light of next year or next week, as we begin Advent season, it's the most wonderful of the year. All right, good, good. See, songs help us remember things. It etches in our minds and memory. And that's why the author of the psalm wrote it this way, because he wanted us to remember these words And the other thing to take note is when you study the Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, you'll see that this was written as uh, really an acrostic. It was an acrostic psalm, which means that there are 22 lines in it, and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so each line would have the next letter of the alphabet. And the reason why it was written this way is for us to remember it, to memorize it. And so as we read through this psalm, I want you to think about why it's so important and why we need to try to memorize it. So Psalm 111, verse 1, praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this psalm of praise and thanksgiving, I'm going to be looking at three questions to address as it's written throughout the psalm. The first is, why do we praise the Lord and give him thanks? Second is, why should we praise the Lord and give him thanks? Or the first is, how do we praise the Lord? The second is, why should we praise the Lord? And the third is, what results in our lives for praising and thanking the Lord? Uh, So the first question that verse 1 addresses is, 
uh, is how should we praise the Lord? Now, there are certain things we need to remember uh, about how we are to do it. But first, we've got to understand what the word praise means. The word praise means is to have a deep appreciation for someone or something. It's to esteem something of great value. It's to, it's to applaud. It's to cherish. It's to commend. It's, 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 it's to praise and sing and burst forth with excitement to give thanks to someone or something. That's what praise is about. It's really a, a sense of worship. And so the question I have is, is how do we worship the Lord? How should we do it? And in verse 1, there are six things that you can pick apart in this one little verse about how we can praise the Lord and give him thanks. First, if you notice after the, the first sentence, at the end of it, you see an exclamation point. Praise the Lord! Exclamation point. How are we to praise the Lord? But we are to praise the Lord passionately, with excitement. We are to give an exclamation point to our praise and to our thanksgiving. We are to show some emotion. We are to have a little oomph in us. That's how we are to praise the Lord, is to do so passionately. And that's why there's an exclamation point. Even in the Hebrew, there's an exclamation point. And it's to show us some excitement, to show us that we need to have passion as we praise the Lord and give him thanks. The second way that we can praise the Lord is by doing it individually, not just passionately, but individually. Notice the first word of the second sentence, I will give thanks to the Lord, meaning that no one can thank the Lord for you. You must individually do it yourself. You must individually thank the Lord yourself. And that's why this season, especially in America, a season of Thanksgiving, we need to take the time personally to thank him for our daily provisions, for our health, for our food, for our family, for our friends, for our jobs. We need to take the time to thank the Lord personally uh, for what he has done for us. The third way that in which that we can praise the Lord is by praising the Lord with in, intentionality, to do so intentionally. Notice the second word of the second sentence, I will, I will do it. There is a resolve and there's a determination to praise God. So it, it matters not how you feel, but what you choose to do. And so that means that we are to praise the Lord in the good seasons and in the bad seasons, in the hard seasons and in the great seasons. We are to praise the Lord. It makes me think of that, that, that song, he gives and he takes away, Lord, blessed be his name. No matter the circumstances, we are called to praise the Lord, to lift up his name, to give thanks to him. So how do we praise the Lord? We do so passionately, individually, intentionally. We also do so thankfully. I will give thanks is the next word that we read here. We need to offer our praise and our thanks to God, giving him a heart full of gratitude. And I'm, becoming, I'm beginning to realize that the more grateful we are and the more thankful we are, the more thankful others around us will be. If we can display and express a a heart and a life of thanksgiving, it will be contagious, just like a heart of criticism would be contagious. Have you ever been around a, a bunch of people, maybe last night, and, you know, people are very critical, and then you become critical, right? That can happen, right? When you're around a bunch of critical people, you can become critical. But in the same way, when you're around a bunch of thankful people, you can become thankful. It wears off on you. It rubs off on you. It's contagious, and so I will give thanks to the Lord. Thankfully is a way that we praise him. A fifth way that we do so is wholeheartedly. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Meaning we don't praise the Lord casually. 
We don't just give them our leftovers. We don't just do, do it halfway. But we, we go all in with all our heart, with everything we have. Thank you, Lord, everything you got. Give him your all. You praise the Lord with your whole heart. We are not to approach him casually, but to approach him with our whole heart, wholeheartedly. And the sixth way in which that we can approach the Lord with praise is we do so publicly. Went on to say, in the company of the upright in the congregation. We need to thank the Lord publicly with other believers. As I just said, as you begin to show a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude, it, it will rub off on others. But you gotta, be, you gotta be thankful publicly so that others can say, oh, you're right, I need to be thankful too. Because it's easy for us to think of all the negative things in life. But what about all the positive things that God has given us? And that's why it's important when we, when we pray before a meal, thank you, Lord, for the food that you've given us. Sometimes we say, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And I sometimes scratch my head and say, bless these Doritos to the nourishment. But so you may not want to pray that, right? But thank you, Lord, for the food. Thank you that you have given us publicly. So tonight, I want to tell you, I started something last year that I, we're, we're beginning a tradition here in this Thanksgiving season at Christ's Covenant. And that is we have an annual Thanksgiving night of worship. So tonight, we're going to the second year in a row. I want to invite all of you to come tonight. Because it's a sweet time for our congregation because uh, during the service, we will give you an opportunity to come before everybody else and say one thing that you can look back on this year that you can give God thanks for. So you come up and say, I I thank the Lord this year for giving me this job or giving me this home, whatever it may have been, but that one thing. So be thinking about it today before you come tonight. And it's so rich to hear from children all the way to senior citizens and how God has shown up in our lives this year. So please come tonight, 6 o'clock. Our our worship choir will be uh, leading us in song, and Jim Cofield will give us a brief message tonight as well. So please come and uh, and publicly thank the Lord for for what he has done for you personally this year. And we can celebrate and praise the Lord together as he has impacted our lives. So that's how we praise the Lord. But but the second question is, why should we praise the Lord? And that's the bulk of this psalm, verses 2 through 9. Why should we do it? Well, we should do it because we should praise the Lord and give him thanks because of who he is and because of what he has done. There's a common word that is mentioned throughout this psalm, and it's mentioned five times. It's the word works. We praise the Lord for the works he has done. Notice verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 7. Five times we read about the works of God. And that's why we are to praise him and give him thanks because of all the incredible things he has done. And it's broken up in two categories of of what he's done. The first category is the works of his creation. The second category are the works of his salvation. So first, the works of his creation. We are to praise the Lord because of the works of his creation, verse 2 and 3. We see great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. We learn here first that his works are magnificent. They are magnificent because when you study creation, you will see the power of his hand. You will see the majesty in his work. You will see how great his works are, as verse 2 describes. They are full of splendor. Uh, This makes me think about Psalm 8 that tells us, when I look at your at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When I look at the heavens, the work of his fingers, the moon and the stars, I'm blown away by it. And I see how God is so much bigger than you and me. His works are magnificent. Psalm 19.1, a familiar psalm for many of us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim, or the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We see that the heavens declare his glory. His works are magnificent. And so in response, we should praise him and show our deep gratitude and appreciation for him and how we admire him for his works of creation. You know, this week, my daughter, Katie, she is in third grade now. And she had to put together a, um, a, a, a class project for her science class on the planets. So she created these little Play-Doh planets, and she wrote a little description of each planet, and then she had to do the presentation in her class, and it was really neat to go over that with her. But as I was seeing this, I began to just think about the solar system. I began to think about uh, just the universe and, and the skies and the the glory and majesty of, of God. And I begin to, to do some work on the sun, studying the sun. Now, we know that a sun is an efficient source of constant energy. Every second, the sun, it produces enough energy to run one billion major cities for one year, every second, one billion major cities. Our own sun puts out more energy every second than 100 billion nuclear bombs. The sun puts out more energy every second than 100 billion nuclear bombs. I got this information from Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham's group. Its diameter, the sun, the size is nearly 865,000 miles, and so you could line up 109 Earths across the sun. That's how big and massive the sun is. But our sun is only one speck in an enormous galaxies of stars called the Milky Way. The Milky Way is estimated to contain over one billion stars. God created these wonders to mark the passage of time. Stars, they are incredible sources of energy, glowing hot globes of hydrogen, helium, gas, and we know that the Milky Way is only a grain of sand amidst amidst a sea of galaxies. An estimated 100 billion galaxies are in the visible universe alone. 100 billion galaxies in the visible universe alone. So I want you just to imagine the power that is displayed every night that is produced by 100 billion galaxies, each with millions to trillions of blazing stars. Just imagine that. Think about that for a second. Does that not blow you away? That reveals the magnificent works of our God. And Psalm 147 tells us that God determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Billions and trillions of stars God determines. He creates and he even names them. That's un. Believable. God's works are magnificent. And when we study his creation, we have to respond in a sense of awe where we're overwhelmed with who he is and what he's done. So we praise the Lord for the works of his creation. We also praise the Lord for the works of his salvation. 
You see, what, what, what the psalmist was writing about is he was writing about their ancestors, his ancestors, who God delivered from Egypt and took them through the wilderness and then into the promised land of Canaan and how God helped fight the battles so that his people could be in a land of freedom where they could worship him freely. So that's what the context of this psalm is about. And, and the second thing we see about God's works is not only are they magnificent, but they're memorable. His works are memorable, verses four and five. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. We know that God's works are so magnificent that it's really difficult for us to forget them. And what I mean especially is it's, for, it's really difficult for us to forget the big things in our lives, those defining moments in our lives where we remember and look back where God showed up for us. Those memories are etched in our minds and our hearts where we look back and we remember all the things that God has done for us and we're blown away by it. His works are memorable personally for you and for me. So my question I have for you today is, what has God done for you in your lifetime, and especially this year, that you can look back on and give him thanks, and give him thanks? We need to remember all the good things he has done for us, because as we remember those things, then it will make it so much easier to praise him and give him thanks, and to live a life of thanksgiving. It's important for us to remember, because his works are memorable, now, this week, as we all know, is, is the first holiday that America ever started, and that is Thanksgiving. And there was a tradition that my family and I did every single Thanksgiving growing up. We had the five kernels of corn. And you may not know what that is, but in 1620, the pilgrims and the Puritans, when they came here, they had very little. In fact, Half of them died because of the harsh winter that they found themselves in when they got here in the fall. Half of them barely made it. And it's been said that during that first winter in 1620 that they scrounged just enough food for some to survive and that just enough food was every day was just five kernels of corn to get them through the winter. Could you imagine living on five kernels of corn through a winter season? There'd be a lot of complaining going on. A lot of growling stomachs. But what happened was, after that first year that our pilgrims were here in 1620, there became, there became a tradition of the pilgrims after that, and even Christians today, who are looking back on that 1620 and remembering the five kernels of corn. And, and what we would do as kids, is my mom would set out before we would eat our, our big Thanksgiving feast, she would set out these five little kernels on a napkin for, in front of each plate. And we would all go around the table before we would eat, and we would say several things, five things that we were thankful for, for that year. And I'll never forget it. But you know, the five kernels of corn, they all stood for something, or they stand for something. The first kernel reminds us of the autumn beauty that's all around us. The second kernel reminds us of our love for one another. The third kernel reminds us of God's love and care for us. The fourth kernel reminds us of all of our friends, especially our, the Indian brothers that they had then. The fifth kernel reminds us that we are a free people. So I just encourage, if you don't have any traditions, maybe start the five kernels with your family this year. Why do we do that? It's because we can remember the works of God. 
and how he brought our ancestors here. They risked their lives. Many of them died. They were persecuted, and they came here with nothing. And now we're here today, and we have a lot. And so, again, God's works are memorable. We got to remember that. The third thing about God's works are they are mighty. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. What the psalmist is referring to is God's mighty, powerful hand that delivered the enemy, that delivered them from the enemy. And he, he delivered his people from the wilderness into the promised land. And when you read about that, you can read about it in the book of Joshua. When you get to, to, to Joshua chapter 3, it's amazing because you see God's hand of power directing his people into the promised land. Right as they're about to enter the promised land, they, they reached the Jordan River. And they had to cross the Jordan River to get into the promised land so that they could inherit it and, and, and conquer the enemy. This is what we read in Joshua 3. Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. This displayed the incredible, mighty works of God that day. Because what happened was, as the people were about to enter the land, they, they see this large Jordan River, and they're thinking, how in the world are we going to get across this into the promised land? But God had a plan. He said, I want the Ark of the Covenant and the priest to, to walk before, and right when the, the first priest, his feet touch the water, I'm going to move the waters into one heap, one big pile, and then you're going to be able to walk on dry ground into the promised land. We read later in Joshua 3, that happened. Those were works that displayed the mighty hand of God. And then shortly after that, as you read through Joshua, they enter into the city of Jericho. And if you grew up in church, you know that the walls came tumbling down. Well, who tumbled down those walls? God. Now, yes, the people, they marched around the city seven times. They blew the trumpets. They yelled as loud as they could. And we know when you're in, a, when you're in Nalem Stadium and it's a packed house and you're, and you're yelling loud, you can get to about 124, 28 decibel levels. It's a loud place. So we know that trumpets and volume can shake things up. But what can tear down a wall? Not that. God. God was the one who tore down the walls of Jericho that day. They entered into the city. They destroyed the enemy. Why? Because of God. His works are mighty. Mighty, powerful so we've got to remember that about God, and we've got to give him praise and thanks for his mighty works. The fourth thing that we praise the Lord for, his works, is that his works are morally upright, verses 7 and 8. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. We know here that God has given us his word, which has proven to be just, fair, faithful, true, trustworthy, the absolute truth. The psalmist was referring back to uh, when God gave his people on Sinai the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments reveal his works as being morally upright. We still follow the Ten Commandments today. Why? Because it keeps us 
in line with the Lord. He's given us boundaries for our good, for our benefit. And so we are to praise him for those boundaries. We're to praise him for giving us morally upright law, his his morally upright law. Because it's proven to be fair. It's proven to be good. It's proven to be righteous, trustworthy, and true. So that's what he was referring to here in that God's works are morally upright. And then, and then finally, we see here that God's works are merciful, verse 9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Again, the psalmist is referring back to God redeeming and saving his people from Israel or from Egypt, taking them out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. In the same way, we as believers, we can look at this verse and say, God has shown us his mercy by saving our souls. Instead of going to hell, instead of being dead in our sins, he has awakened us so that we can have salvation in heaven one day. And that's purely by the grace and mercy of God. And as we think about that, we need to burst with energy and passion and excitement. And that's where we can praise him and give him thanks because he saved our souls. He's rescued us from Satan and from, from hell, and from sin and death, and he's given us life in him in this life and in the next in heaven. And so again, as we think about the works of God, we think about how he's merciful to us. And I want us to think about this this week in Thanksgiving. Now, a lot of times as we live in American society, we forget some of our history because we, we either don't talk about it, we're not taught it in schools. It's important for us to look back on our history as Americans, of why we celebrate Thanksgiving. I mentioned earlier the pilgrims came in 1620. Why did they come? They came because they were living in England under almost like a pharaoh type, King James. And King James said, I'm gonna harry the pilgrims out of this land because he couldn't stand them. He even created the King James Version. Why? Because the pilgrims were reading the Geneva Bible. And the Geneva Bible had footnotes that were reformed. King James couldn't stand those footnotes, and he said, I don't like the Geneva Bible, so I'm going to create my own, and they created the King James Version. So all, so all of our friends who say King James Version only, you need to remind them of history. But King James said, I don't like the Geneva Bible, I don't like these pilgrims, get out of here. So the pilgrims said, all right, we got to get out of here. So they went to, Hol- to Holland for 10 years. That didn't quite work out after 10 years. So they, they heard about this colony here, these colonies. They said, we want to go there so we can worship the Lord freely, read our Geneva Bible again, and not be left alone from King James. So they got here in 1620, and half of them died in that brutally cold winter. But the springtime came, and the harvest came, and they were able to survive through that springtime. And then in the fall of 1621 is when we we had our official first Thanksgiving. That's debated, but that was the official first Thanksgiving in the fall of 1621, and During that time, there were roughly 50 pilgrims, and there were 90 Indians, and the Indians came to help them survive in this new land. Squanto was among one of them, and Squanto became a believer because of of pilgrim influence, and he spoke English, and he helped them survive uh, in especially the cold winter months. But you know, it's interesting as you study the, the first Thanksgiving of the fall of 1621, children served adults the food. 
Only four women pilgrims were alive during that time, and they cooked for 140 guests. I would imagine the men helped too. But think about that. That's a lot of mouths to feed. They ate cod. They ate sea bass. They ate ducks, geese, and swan. They did eat turkeys, but wild turkeys back in the day, they could get up to 25 miles an hour. (laughs) So these pilgrims had to chase around the turkeys, and and if they caught them, then they would kill them and eat them. You know, they, they, they had games that first Thanksgiving. We have football, and a lot of you have family traditions where you play football with your aunts and uncles and cousins, and you watch football. I think the Detroit Lions every year, but you watch football. Well, in those days, they didn't have football, but instead they had bow and arrow contests. They had military drills and foot races. They even had wrestling. So that was the time when they honored the Lord, was in the fall. But there's a reason why they chose that time. It wasn't just because they thought, hey, this is a good time to do it. You know what's fascinating about Thanksgiving? It traces back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in this season, in the fall, there would be a season of Thanksgiving known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of the Ingathering. And the Feast of Tabernacles was the Feast of Booths. And for a week long during the fall, God's people, the Israelites, they would set up tents on top, on the rooftop and around their houses, and they would sleep in the tents for for the whole week. Why would they do that? They did it because they remembered God's faithfulness and how he delivered his people through the wilderness as they were sleeping in tents. So every year, God's people would have a time of thanksgiving. The pilgrims knew about that because they were believers, so they established a season of thanksgiving. So this Thursday, as you're eating a bunch of turkey, as you're watching football, as you're eating stuffing and mashed potatoes and gravy, don't just say, well, that was a good day. But think about our heritage. Think about how this all came about, and ultimately it came from the Old Testament. Then it came from the pilgrims who risked their lives so that we could be here today and eat a bunch of turkey. So please take some time, whether it's the five kernels of corn or just to go through scripture or go through history and learn about it. Teach your kids it. Teach your grandkids history because they're not necessarily getting it at schools or anywhere else. Teach them why we celebrate this every single year. And after that first Thanksgiving, uh, we really didn't celebrate a season of Thanksgiving. We did have several presidents like Washington and others who established a day of Thanksgiving and prayer. But it wasn't until... It was 1863 when a woman by the name of Sarah Hale, who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, she wrote letter after letter after letter to different governors, local leaders, even presidents, that we should recognize as a nation a day of thanksgiving, thanking God for his wonderful works. And because of Sarah Hale's persistence, finally, Abraham Lincoln, he read her letter and he said, you know what, this lady's onto something. As a nation, we need to stop in our busy lives, and we need to take the time and just rest and be thankful for all that God has done for us. And then on 1941, Congress then established an official day that we have on the fourth Thursday of of November of Thanksgiving. I bring all this up because we need to remember. We need to remember our history, our heritage. It's not perfect, but boy, is it good and rich, full of scripture and full of God's mighty works for us, how he has delivered us and he has redeemed us and helped us. 
The last thing is, how does this, why does all this matter? What should it result in our lives? And it should result in a life of fearing God. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. I end with just simply saying this. It's important for us to fear the Lord. We fear the Lord, why? For two reasons. Number one, because he can discipline us, right? But the other reason is because of who he is. Fearing in the sense of being in awe and wonder and we're blown away by who he is and the works that he's done. And so as we live lives of fear in a healthy way, we recognize the fact that God is with us. And as we recognize that fact and as we fear him, our lives should explode with praise and thanksgiving. So may it be this week that your life will explode with thanksgiving and gratitude.